Welcome back to the Flex Podcast, episode 22. I've got Miss Cheryl Wyatt on the podcast today. It's going to be a very good episode. Um, if you want to introduce yourself, you can. Yeah, hi. I'm Cheryl Wyatt. I'm a nurse practitioner. I actually work for U.S. Acute Care Solutions, which is a company that uh, will staff hospitals, urgent care, skilled nursing facilities. We have a group of nurse practitioners, physician assistants. We call ourselves the APPs, Advanced Practice Providers. So if you hear that term, that's what I'm referring to. Gotcha. And we also have physicians. Um, we have a medical staff office, a lot of people in the background helping us out as well. And we are all across the United States. We have uh, different, different states. Um, I particularly managed Maryland. I'm the director of APPs. Maryland. So I have the emergency departments, I have urgent cares, skilled nursing facilities, and then we have about eight service lines. We have pediatrics, behavioral health, urgent cares, observation medicine, hospitalist medicine, emergency medicine. Um, Who am I forgetting? Let's see. I forget who I'm forgetting. Sorry. I said hospitalist. But um, uh, palliative care. And uh, and I apologize for the last person I forgot. All right. Good. (laughs) So, um, when working in these like departments, is it in like a typical day? Is it very busy, or is it like a slower type day, or is it like like matter on what day it is? What What matters is what's coming in the door, right? Um, so, I typically work emergency departments. I also do some urgent care work on occasion. Um, and what happens um, in emergency departments is it can be seasonal. So in other words, we could see a lot of influx after the holidays. We right. can see um, a lot of influx maybe of more injuries in the summer. Um, if we have a hurricane that just went through, we may see chainsaw injuries that we hadn't seen a lot of in the past. So it, it really depends on what's going on out there um, in the community. Um, as far as hospitalist medicine goes, most of those people are getting the really sick. So they've been inundated with a lot of COVID patients and a lot of really sick people since COVID hit. So they've been working super duper hard. Um, and the other um, urgent cares can, can get hit, you know, like right now with COVID, COVID testing and that type of stuff. It's really busy right now, too. Yeah. Um, so, and it's starting to taper off because the holidays are over. Right. Everybody's already been sick. Yeah. Now it's tapering. So. Is the, is it picking up good? The mic? Yeah. Okay. If you want, you can move it just a little bit closer. It's up to you. Um, so I wanted to ask before we get into the, the main stuff, um, how did you get where you are today, I guess? All right. Well, if we go all the way back, I graduated in 1985 from nursing school. I actually was in a diploma nursing program and, and basically I trained in a hospital and uh, didn't come out with a college education at that point, but I came out with a nursing diploma after two years. Then I did bachelor's program um, by, um, got a free ride, because uh, what I did was I, I went to the hospital and they, they gave us like two classes every semester that they would pay for. So after 10 years, I got my bachelor's degree. Um, I finished that up at Widener University outside of Philadelphia. And then my master's program was also a free ride. Uh, the Clinton administration was in office at the time and they knew that we would have a healthcare shortage. So they gave me a free ride to become a nurse practitioner as long as I practiced in the field for five years. So, um, so diploma nursing to bachelor's to family nurse practitioner is what I actually graduated with. As far as my clinical education, I came out, I did a cancer nursing, it's called oncology for one year. And then I did telemetry, which was like a step down out of ICU. Um, then I moved to New Jersey at that point, and I also did step down in ICU, and then I became the manager of the step down unit. 
From there, I went to a cardiac cath lab as I was finishing up my master's degree. And then in 1996, that's when I moved to Maryland, became a family nurse practitioner. I did family practice for uh, about 12 years. And then I went to the emergency department. And I have been in the emergency department about 14 years now. Um, and then I became the lead at our local hospital um, about a year after I got there, and th which was, I think, about 2009. And then I became the director of uh, APPs for U.S. Acute Care Solutions in Maryland. And I had one site in West Virginia. Um, and then I did I had some sites in Virginia for a short time. But as Maryland grew, it was, became too much. So I kind of came back to Maryland. I started that in 2017. So I'm in my fifth year now for that. So you don't work at the hospital no more? I, I work not at this local hospital, right. but I do work at, uh, at, at, I don't know if I can say it, at Venice White Oak in uh, Silver Spring. Oh, okay. And I work in the emergency department up there. But because of my administrative duties, I have less time. I'm there about four to six shifts a month. Gotcha. So have you been there probably from, I guess t you've been there probably from 2018 to now? So I, I was at, worked at MedStar uh, St. Mary's locally until uh, January, actually one year ago, gotcha. is when I actually left MedStar. And, and you'll get that story here in a second when we start talking about COVID, like what happened to the people when COVID hit, what yeah. happened to our providers? And you'll be surprised. And so, so about a year now, I've been working at, at uh, Adventist White Oak. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So when COVID hit, which would have been, we were what, March, I think? Yeah. March of 2020. It was Friday the 13th. I remember it vividly. Yeah. So I guess when, um, when it hit or when it was like starting to get to the U.S., were, was anything going around like the hospitals or anything like, okay, look, this could be serious or is it kind of like a, it's here, but we don't think it's too, like, critical, I guess. Right. So December of 2019, I think, is when the news was breaking about, like, there's this little town in China. Yeah. That has, you know, this big outbreak of this really serious virus. Um, in the past, we've had similar stuff. You know, we've had um, SARS. Uh, it was MERS, M-E-R-S. And that was kind of another type of a, a virus um, that was contained. And then we also had Ebola. Yeah. And that was contained, you know, so we thought this will be contained. It's not going to get here, you know, so we were kind of like joking about it. In fact, that January, um, I was supposed to go to San Antonio for business and I had a fever and cough and that kind of stuff. And I and I jokingly said, oh, I better not get on the plane. They're going to think I have that thing from China. And uh, I ended up not doing my my business trip for that reason. I mean, I didn't want to spread anything regardless of what I had. Right. And um so I, I, I ended up and everybody was like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I hear it might get here, you know, kind of thing. And that's kind of like, yeah, it might get here. And then I think February, it started to, we'd see some people, you know, New York City, and then New York City started getting more, and then D.C. started getting some, and then the California started getting some, and we started to go, oh, my goodness, this is really yeah. serious, you know. Um, when Ebola hit way back when, we had drills, you know, you know, you have to do the whole garb, and you had this big suit that you wore and this kind of stuff. And, you know, nobody ever really thought Ebola was going to get to us. But with this one, we thought, oh, my goodness, it is coming. Yeah. And I don't think we're prepared. Yeah. You know, and then once it started getting more and more in, in, uh, prevalent, especially closer to home and in our state, and 
it started trickling out, you know, then we started worrying a little bit. Like, this is serious. And we didn't know a lot about it. We didn't know how fast it was going to transmit. We didn't know how bad it was going to be. We saw terrible things happening over in China. And then we started seeing yeah. it in Italy. And we started, you know, all these places. And we're like, oh, my goodness, this is coming. And this is going to be bad. It's quick. It moves quick. It moved very Real fast. Real quick. Yes. Yes. We moved very fast. So um, the biggest thing was we didn't have PPE, personal protective equipment. We did not have enough. Um, and that's when we needed the N95s. And, you know, every year we would get fit tested for N95s because you have to worry about, like, tuberculosis. It's microtuberculosis, this kind of stuff. You had to worry about all these weird viruses that would come around here and there. Never, ever thinking you would really need to use that mask, you know. Right. And then all of a sudden, we not only do we need to use the mask, but we don't have enough and we're going to have to reuse the mask. Yeah. Now what do we do, you know? And then they're saying to everybody in March, you know, we're going to shut down for two weeks. And that's when it got real. So I remember it vividly. I was working the day. It was uh, March 13th, Friday 13th. Um, and um, that's that was going to be the day that, you know, get all your stuff because we're shutting down. And I had, like, hardly anybody in the emergency department. That day was creepy. Like employees? No, I'm talking patients. Oh, oh okay. There were, like, no gotcha. patients coming in. And how can you go from, you know, you're seeing, you know, 80, 90, 100 a, lot. a day, yeah. a lot a day at a minimum to there's like maybe 20 in the department. It was really crazy. And I did have one person that came in and she was panicked. Um, she had just been on a cruise, uh, came back. She had a little cough. She was worried, crying. She came in like three or four different times. It was just everybody was panicked about this thing. Um, but then what happened was the volumes dropped everywhere. So now I'm an employee and I'm not seeing anybody and that means that there's no income, right? Patients aren't coming through the door. We're not going to get any money from them, right. insurance companies or anything like that. How are we going to pay the people that are there? So believe it or not, in the beginning of a pandemic, we laid people off. Wow. I would have never guessed that one. Yeah, nobody ever guessed that one. Yeah. So when you say that the hospital shut down, what do you mean by that? Like, like obviously people can still come in if they're sick, but like, is it more for like surgeries and stuff? Like if you like, I don't know, like cru like not crucial surgeries. Is that what you mean? Like you can't, they're not like rushing to get that surgery done. They have to like wait or. So, so what happened was people were afraid to come to the emergency department because that's where all the sick people are, right? Right. Like you look at pictures, videos of New York City, they had tons and tons of people coming in. And they had, a, you know, cars with, or not cars, but like the um, tractor trailer trucks with refrigerated with, that was the morgue. Yeah. You know, and I remember watching this one video and this guy with a camera goes in and he looks, he's like, look, there's nobody. And he's showing, he's like, there's nobody in this emergency room. Where's this big pandemic? And the thing is, is that they would come through the emergency room, but they don't stay there. They would go to the hospital. So the people that were really super sick would come in, they get, you know, tubed if they were really sick, oxygen, whatever, and then they get admitted to the hospital. So did you see a lot of other people in the ER? No, because you only saw those people came through. But, you know, the ankle sprains, the belly pains, the, you know, the I have a kidney stones, those kinds of people were staying away. They were toughening yeah. out at home. Yeah. You know, so that the, the, all the other people weren't there. So when I say it was shut down, that's what I meant was Got that you. we didn't shut it down. People just didn't come in. Yeah. And then once things started to ramp up, then they didn't allow visitors to come in. They also did stop scheduled surgeries um, that were not emergent. 
because again, we didn't know what was going to happen. And as COVID got here and people did get sicker, then we found that we had to contain it somehow. Yeah. This is before our vaccinations. We didn't have any way to contain it. It's just the only thing you do is you got your mask that you're reusing. You got the mask on top of it that you throw that away after every patient. You know, you have a gown, you take that off. Yeah. You, you know, you take your goggles off, this kind of stuff. You're washing everything down. Um, we decontaminating rooms and stuff after a COVID positive patient had been in. So it really changed things. It slowed things down on how we functioned. Um, and it wasn't bad at first because not everybody was there. So the people that were there, we focused on the COVID people. You know right. what I mean? Um, and, you know, uh, locally, we didn't get really that bad right away because it didn't hit us right away. It was up in, you know, Montgomery County. And it didn't really trickle down to us until probably that fall when the holidays hit. And then you can see, again, the seasonal fluctuations. Like right after the 4th of July, you would see it increase. And then right after Thanksgiving, you would see it increase. And after, still now you see it, Yeah, too. after Christmas, you would see it increase. After um, New Year's, you would see it increase. So this kind of thing. And then when the summer came... You know, and people were outside, but people weren't going on vacations like they used to. Right. They weren't going to cruises. They weren't doing things where they would, you know, where they would go together. But they may go, like a family might go to the Outer Banks or a family may go camping together, that kind of thing. They kind of isolated. So we didn't see a lot of it in the summer. Plus, it was out in the air, you know, and people weren't in a contained space. And then we come to, you know, 2020 and the vaccine started in December. And again, that people were still kind of staying away. So once the vaccine came in and then the general population got vaccinated, then 2021 is when we really saw increases in COVID and increases in emergency department patients because everybody felt safe coming back to the emergency departments because yeah. they're like, I've gotten vaccinated. I'm good. You know, I can come in if I need to come in. So that's when things started picking up. And again, after the 4th of July, you would see it. And then... Um, November of 2021, we have, it's been the worst I've ever seen in a hospital setting as far as the amount of patients that are coming in, the amount of um, sick people coming in, the amount of um, strain on the system. It's, it's been incredible. Um, the other thing that's going on is that the virus is changing as it goes. So the Delta, which was more prevalent last year, we had a lot of people in ICU for that, a lot of people hospitalized for a long period of time. Um, but now, like this recent surge that we've had has been the Omicron variant for yeah. the most part. And we always say like, that's from here up. Like people get the sore throat, they get a little tickle, cough, that kind of the stuff, nose. but it's mostly this, yeah. yeah. Whereas the Delta variant seemed to be concentrating on the lungs. And those are the people that we ended up having to really admit, sometimes put them on ventilators, certainly high flow oxygen. So. Um, Maryland really responded well. Um, you know, Governor Hogan got all of the, the testing going on when that first happened so we could see who's positive, who's not, just getting the vaccines out there, setting up vaccination sites. And then um, this is something else that people probably don't know was the company that I work for was asked to put up uh, prison annexes. So we had two prison annexes. So before prisoners would come in, um, they would get their screenings and this kind of stuff. But if they got sick, they would go into these two, um, these buildings. And we had um, the people that with my company staff those buildings. So where, you know, maybe North Carolina, Texas, those kinds of places, they, they laid their people off. We were fortunate enough that we only laid a couple people off in Maryland. And we were able to send people who didn't have any more work at the ER were able to go to these annexes. And the other thing that they did was they... Uh, opened up a COVID hospital. 
Really? And it was the Washington Adventist Hospital, the one that was that was mothballed, they call it, um, because they they built Adventist White Oak, which is the one I work in now. They opened that hospital again, and they had the company, um, uh, my company, go in and staff it. So they got physicians, they got APPs to staff this, and they actually put an ICU in there eventually as well. And that is still up and running, and so that goes up and down as far as volume. So what that would do is that would actually decompress the hospitals a bit. So if you had somebody who was, you know, needed long-term oxygen, but they didn't necessarily need to be in the hospital, they would go to that hospital. They just send them there. Mm -hmm. gotcha. They would stay. Yeah, and same thing with the prisons. Um, anybody who was super sick would go to their annexes. They wouldn't come out to the hospital system. Um, so that's that's just my company. Um, the other thing um, that they did was they opened up the convention center. And again, I, my company didn't necessarily staff that, but they opened up the convention center to, again, put people there. So it would decompress the hospitals. Um. So I did want to ask real quick. I there I don't know if you've ever seen the show Chicago Med, um, but they had a thing right when COVID hit. They had to stop production and stuff, and they came back, and the it was like the first episode. Like I seen it, and I was like, I don't know if that's real. They so they followed. There was like the doctor that's there, and they followed him through um, when he got at the hospital, and he went through all this like screening. There was like it was spraying him with I don't really know what it's like called but like he'd walk in he'd stand in this like room it would scan his temperature spray him and then he'd walk in and then put like this like suit on and then he'd like have his day is that how it was at the hospital or was it more of like like you just get swabbed and then you're good no it's not like that at all oh. in, in, in fact i've never been swabbed at the hospital really <laughs> i've never been swabbed at the hospital no um the thing is is that um you would like if you're sick then you just don't go in and right. you know and basically you do either you know go to a, a place locally or go to your employee health whatever and get swabbed and say okay i'm covid positive or i'm not um no but what happened initially was um when you would go in the door they would they would check your temperature if you're a patient but if you're a provider um some hospitals did probably but not every hospital did they trust right. you you know they trust you. you're not going to come to work if you're super sick right um but you would go in and then if you had to go into uh, you would auto automatically put on your n95 and your mask and you're supposed to wear your goggles not everybody wore goggles but you're supposed to the other thing that they would do is face shields so if you didn't want to wear the goggles you could wear the face shield um, and again, initially, we didn't have that stuff. Um, you didn't have enough of we it. We didn't have. Yeah. Nope, we did not have face shields. And so we had local engineer companies, at least at, at St. Mary's, they had a local engineering company. Um, I might have been even scouts. I don't even remember who did it. But they did 3D printer. So they did 3D printer, and then they put like that, um, that clear plastic um, stuff on it so that you could change it in and out, that kind of thing, until like they really got to like a big company started manufacturing this stuff. But that's what they used initially. Um, some people would buy their own things called pappers, and what a papper is is it's it's a uh, thing that you put on your face, and it's um, it has a hose that kind of comes from it, and it has its own supply of like um, oxygen, so to speak, and um, it kind of contains you so that you can you don't have to wear goggles, you just wear this thing, and it's like kind of blown up. It almost reminds me of like the old hair dryers way back in the day, you know how like they yeah. put, puffed up the head, you know, yeah. the head. Only this thing wasn't like here, and it, you know, it was completely covered. You know, you have like this clear face shield and, and that kind of thing. So some people bought pappers. So if you saw people walking around, they looked like spacemen. That's what those were. Um, other people, again, we just kind of put our stuff together. Right. You know, Amazon was probably pretty busy because <laughs> most of us just went on Amazon. I actually used a woodworker's helmet is what I used. I had like this shield that would come down. It was a, a black and it was a shield that would come down like this and it would kind of contain my face. That's what I used. 
Um, and I saw a couple other people had that, but other people just um, would, again, use the face shields that the, these Boy Scouts had made or, or, you know, the engineers had made. Um, other people had uh, started making homemade masks for us and stuff that they would kind of cover the N95s, but they found that um, after we would come out of a room, we would discard our, our outside masks, so we didn't wear those anymore. But those were good for, like, when you left the hospital, you could put on the mask, right. you know, before masks became popular. And as you remember, um, a lot of stuff was just out of stock all the time, or they were saving it for the healthcare workers. So you couldn't, like, if I, as a layperson, went out there and tried to find an N95, I couldn't get it. It's almost impossible. Yeah, you couldn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of how it worked. And, again, we were reusing uh, the, the mask for the most part they would they would have a, a paper bag you know a brown paper bag and you put your mask in there and stuff at the end of your ship you roll it down and next time you came in you would get it and about every week we get a new one yeah kind of thing so that's how it first started. now now that we have plenty so now yeah. we're good i remember it was like you go to the store you couldn't even get um uh the wipes what are they called the um, clark's wipes yeah, yeah. it's like the whole shelf was just gone that and toilet paper but uh-huh. i was like god um so what would you say was probably like the worst month for COVID like that we've like had, uh, I guess that like at your hospital that you worked at, like the worst month you've seen it where it's just like, there's just ambulances just rolling through constantly. I mean, it could be every day too, but like where it was like, you're like, okay, we can barely like keep up. This is, you know, it's a lot of patients and waiting rooms are ridiculous, stuff like that. That just happened. Uh, and really? Yeah. That was just this past November, December, January. Yeah. Um, it was it was terrible. Um, the the volumes of people, because a lot of people wanted to get tested, too. So so you had people who wanted to be tested. You had people that were positive. And um, fortunately, the variant that was going around was Omicron, though. So not as many people got admitted that in, if it had been Delta, we wouldn't have been able to handle it. I, you know, we barely handled um, Omicron because the volumes were just crazy for the people that were coming in. So if every person that came in was super sick and needed to be admitted, it would we couldn't have, could not have handled it. There were that many people. Um, you know, you would have, you know, 60, 70 in the waiting room. Um, and then your emergency department is full. Um, oftentimes, like, um, I would I would walk into work and the emergency the hospital is full and the emergency department is full of patients waiting to go into the hospital we call those borders so we have an emergency room full of borders and people still coming in the door so what you can do sometimes is divert ambulances so you say okay we go on what they call colors so we say okay we can't take any more people so they'll take it to the next hospital but when everybody goes on divert it's negated and you just go to the closest hospital. So yeah. even it got to that point where you would look, everybody was on callers. And so you're just going to get people. Um, and, and it wasn't just COVID people. It was also other people, it was, you know, the, the normal people who have like I right. have abdominal pain. I've got yeah. appendicitis. I've got, you know, pyelonephritis. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm older and I have my COPD is kicked in. Yeah. So, you know, so in addition, you had all the regular people, but then you had all these extra COVID people coming in too. So, um, yeah, definitely this uh, November, December, January was really bad. And I have to give credit to the people that were there 
Um, I mean, like I said, I worked six shifts a month. You know, I wasn't the person in the midst of it. So kudos to all the ICU people, the hospitalists, the emergency department people. And I'm talking about not just the providers. I'm talking about the secretaries, the nurses, the the environmental services, the, you know, the lab techs, the pharmacy techs, everybody um, really pulled through. And they were also getting sick because they would get sick sometimes from work. But mostly from families, right? Because around the holidays, because everybody got together this holiday. Yeah. Where last year, some people got together, or they tested before they got together. But this year, lots of people got together. And There's lots a lot of, of testing. Spread, yeah, yeah, and lots of people spread COVID yeah. amongst their family members. I remember it was like because we got to no, it was Christmas, so we didn't Thanksgiving. <clears throat> I remember Thanksgiving wasn't like terrible. Cause then we went back to school and it wasn't like crazy, but Christmas came around and then my sister called it and we couldn't even find tests. And it like, like everything, CVS, Walgreens, like everybody was sold out. And I remember coming back to school and it was like nobody there. Like, do you remember that? Like we go like sit in the classroom and look around. We're like, oh, we got four kids today. And then you go to your next class. Oh, we got seven today. It's like nobody was there for like, I don't know, three weeks, two weeks after, and finally, like, kids started coming in. But it's like, like you said, like, it's always near, like, the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, who knows what Easter will be, mm-hmm. but, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And then you can't get tests either, so then, like, <laughs> school just tells you, you know, stay home. If you can't get tested, you got to wait, or if you get tested, you know, make sure it's negative, then you can come back. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's still crazy yeah we've learned a lot though you know we've learned a lot about how it's transmitted transmitted um we've learned um about you know the quarantine periods and things like that and as you know like used to be four you know 14 days and stay away and then it was like 10 days and now it's like five days of isolation which means you stay home away from everybody and then a mask for five more days but you can go to work during that time frame if you really needed to but you right. don't have to wear your mask um and, and masks really do help you know because it's you know, you're putting um, your stuff out there and somebody else is breathing it in. Right. So if you have your mask in place, then that's actually very helpful. They say, like, is the N95, like, more, like, I wouldn't want to say better, but it's, like, more um, securable, I guess. Like, it'll keep, it's better to wear an M95 than just, like, a regular mask. Like, the, you know, like, the blue ones, like, I don't yeah. know really what they're called, but. um. Yeah, we just call those surgical masks. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And the reason is, is that the N95s, they can filter the particulate matter, you know, so basically nothing really gets through or very minimal stuff gets through. You can seal it to your nose and, and that kind of thing. So when you put on your mask, you always put it on and then you blow out and you like, can you feel things? Like if, you're, if your goggles are fogging up, it's not, it's not on right, right, you know, so you have to reposition it and that kind of stuff. And then what we would do is, we, so we have our N95 and then we put a mask on. And I've always worn my N95. There was a time when people kind of took, did their surgical mask instead. I've always worn my N95, and I've been wearing goggles and stuff, too. So I've j- I just play it safe wherever I go for the most part. And when I go out into the community, even when they said you don't have to wear a mask, I still wear my mask, you know, because um, I, I see it. I, you know, I right. see firsthand what happens and how it's transmissible. And knock on wood, I haven't gotten it yet. So it's only ma- – but I, I will say it's not a matter of if you get it. It's like when are you going to get it because yeah. go- you're going to get it. Uh, I caught it. It was – what was that? Last It was last summer. Um, well, yeah, so 2021 summer, um, we went to Florida, went to Orlando, went to Universal, everything before we left was all died down. I was like, oh, we're good. 
Then we get down to Florida and we turn the news on and it starts, you know, cases are ramping up. And then Orlando becomes the hot spot of the whole country. Like while we're down there. And we're like, dang. And then we but we had just gotten universal tickets and we're like, we wear a mask, separate, we'll be fine. We got there, wasn't a lot of people. Like it was actually I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a big amusement park, so there's going to be people there, but it wasn't, like, crazy. What was that? Like, three days after, we got to where we were supposed to stay for the for the rest of the week. And I remember just, like, getting in bed, and I was about to get on my game, and I'm like, I am, I have, like, no energy. Started, like, my body was, like, real cold. And I, I like sleeping cold, but, like, that was, like, like, shaking cold. And I remember actually falling asleep and then waking back up, and it was, I was, like, super hot had sweat like, sweat like all over me. Next day got tested positive. Sister got it. Parents didn't and they were only at that time it was just the one vaccine, not the booster or or no, sorry. You get the one, the second and they didn't even know about the booster yet. And they didn't catch it until we got back in on the way home. We left that day after. Came on the way home, then they both caught it, then everybody had it. And then I remember sitting here, my mom was like spraying Lysol and I'm like <laughs> I'm like, I, I can't even smell that. She's like, what? And then I, like, grabbed a candle, lit it. I was like, nah, seriously, I cannot. Like, it's, like, the weirdest feeling. I didn't lose my taste. My sister did. She still doesn't have it back. But when it comes to, like, smell, like, I, I have it back now, but it's still, like, a some things you can't smell. It's, like, it's kind of crazy. It's scary, too. Like, I don't want to lose my smell or taste again. But, mm-hmm. um, so I guess I wanted to ask you this, too. Um. A day in a life on, like, a very bad day, what does it look like? Um, <clears throat> so if you're talking about an emergency department, so a very bad day is a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very bad day. And a very bad day is um, things slowing down elsewhere. So, you know, you maybe order a CAT scan, that kind of stuff, and radiologists aren't there because they're, they've had COVID and, you know, they're limited, that kind of stuff. Um, so, so a very bad day is delays. Now, if you talk about COVID, um, uh, when it first came out and Delta was really serious, um, it was it was tough because people didn't know quite what to do yet. Um, so when it first came out, there were people that had created these like clear plastic boxes kind of thing, and they would put it over a patient's head, and they would try to intubate, put intubate, you know, put the ET tube down around this box and and you are in your garb and you've got all the the the, um, the prote- personal protective equipment on a couple gloves this kind of stuff and you're trying so you're you're kind of like not moving moving around as much you're you know you're worried about getting splashed what's going to happen you know am I going to get this this kind of stuff so so that was scary so you you put your normal stuff and then you add more equipment on top of it and then what if I get the virus you know because right. it's deadly you know so I think that was the when it first came out that was the fear factor um, you know, you were you were asking earlier about did they spray? Did they do this kind of stuff? It's like no, they didn't. They didn't spray you or anything like that. There wasn't a decontamination thing. I will say though that um, you know, in a you know, I, I was at a Pittsburgh hospital um, in October, and the people that had COVID there, they did have like what they call the ante room. So there was a nurse that would actually sit in this room uh, between you know, right next to this patient who was tubed and had all the lines and stuff like that, and they stayed in that room. Uh, for for like, like hours, right. you know, and they were garbed up and this kind of stuff. So they they kind of hung out there. Um, so there were some people that were really um, exposed for a long period of time, but they had to wear like the the full protective equipment. Um, the majority of us, though, whenever we would go in, 
you just before you go into the room, you put on your your gown, your gloves. You know, you, of course, you have your your mask on already, your goggles, your face shields, that kind of stuff. We often wear, wear surgical caps too, so your hair is not exposed. Um, you know, I haven't worn rings for like ever, <laughs> no really? watches forever, because you just don't want to have anything like that exposed. So that slows you down so a really bad day is that you have you're in and out of these patients rooms and it's it's adding time to it right um and then if they are unstable then you know and you have a couple of people unstable and like i said to you before you know we we kind of cut back on the amount of people that were working because the volumes had dropped but the people that were coming in were sicker so even though you weren't seeing as many patients they were sicker and it felt worse than when you used to see, you know, 25 patients. These 15 patients felt a lot worse. Right. You felt like you were constantly on the go. And, <clears throat> you know, and again, it's like, you know, what you did, you hoped that you saved that patient, but you didn't save everybody. And um, and I think really ICU people, I, I mean, I, I personally, I kind of give the ICU people a lot of credit because they have them day in, day out, day in, day out. And they may not make it. And I think that's probably the toughest. And it's over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, the same thing for months at a time. So uh, kudos to the to the ICU people. Um, emergency departments, you know, even though it's bad days and it's it feels bad, we do get different kinds of patients. And you see them for a short time, you know. And I think that's the benefit of an, an ER is that, you know, you, you might see them for three, four, five, sometimes six to eight hours, but then they usually go or they get admitted and now they're not your problem anymore, so to speak, but they're the hospitalist problems. So those guys had, had um, give the, those guys a lot of credit because they're, they're working harder than they've ever worked. Yeah. And trying to save these patients and manage the patients as they're deteriorating. So, but, you know, but then you have the great saves, you know, and, the, and you see that sometimes on the news where people have been in hospitals for 60 some days and they come out and they're doing okay. Yeah. You know, so. Um, so like when you say like there's a lot of people that come in, so like what do you do with the people that are like, hey, I came here, I want to get tested. Do you just like if it's like really busy, you just like look, go home, go find a like a at home test, or do you say just go home and stay quarantined until this dies down, or do you just actually just say look, it's gonna be a long time, but we'll get you a test. So <clears throat> we uh, emergency departments go by acuity systems. So if you're a level one patient, that's the cardiac arrest, that's the really sick people, down to a level five. So that person would be considered a level five. Um, with emergency departments, they have MTALA regulations, and what that means is that you have to see every person that comes through the door. You can't just stop them and say, oh, we can't see you. Whereas, like, if you worked in an urgent care, you could say, oh, you know, we're not going to see you. Right. Um, we recommend that you go to the ER or whatever, or you need to pay us first. You know, we see all comers in the emergency department, so, so they come in. And it's their right to come in, but they are told that, hey, you know what, you're, you know, you're gonna have to wait. Um, you see all the people here. You know, you're a level five. It's gonna be a while. So, right. but you're welcome to wait. No, well, we will see you. You're welcome to wait. Um, so, what we do is what they call a screening exam. So, it would be somebody would go in and you know do their blood pressures and this and that and the other stuff. And then, um, as long as somebody has seen them and stuff, then they can decide if they want to leave or, you know, or 
whatever but but it is acuity and that's where a lot of people get really angry and and sometimes you know people can have like a cut and they're like you have blood but the blood's contained but they're like i've been bleeding forever you know it's like yeah but these you don't see like the five cardiac arrests that just came through the door in the back right. you know so you know it gets very frustrating and and what we really like you know if we if we could have the patience of the american public that would be <laughs> definitely helpful um do you guys get a lot of like like the uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Med Express, mm-hmm. and it used to be right time. It used to be up, but um, do you get a lot of like patients from there? Do they get like they go to like let's just say they go to Med Express? They say, all right, look, you need to go to the hospital. Do you get a lot of those? <clears throat> I wouldn't say a lot. No. No. No, you make it a. It may, you're probably going to get a couple a day. Right. Um, and it depends how many urgent cares are around, but a couple a day probably. And, um, and the thing is that sometimes patients just want to go there and get checked out and hoping that they don't have to go to the ER. They're afraid to go to the ER, whatever. So for instance, like an abdominal pain might come in there and they just want to know, oh, you're fine. But you know, the problem with urgent cares is that, um, there's, they don't have the ability to do scans. They can't do a CAT scan. They don't have ultrasound availability. Most don't have laboratory availability. So if somebody comes in there for it with abdominal pain, we're probably going to send them to the emergency department because we can't scan them. We can't do blood work, this kind of stuff. Now, sometimes we can do just a quick urinalysis and say, oh, your pain is from a urinary tract infection. And yes, they can go away. Um, Sometimes we can, you know, examine them and rule out, um, like maybe they're not as tender as they think. Maybe it's a general belly pain and, you know, they and five other family members have been vomiting that day. Right. Probably is going to be more a viral thing. Um, But yeah, um, sometimes complicated lacerations and things come through the door that, again, they may not be able to handle at, at the uh, urgent care. So it really depends on the provider at the urgent care. If you're somebody who's really not been super experienced, you may not feel comfortable doing complicated lacerations or things like that. You know, um, when I work the urgent cares, I mean, I've worked ER for 13 years, so I will possibly repair something that they would have sent to the ER because I used to work the ER. I would have been that one repairing it on the back end, right. you know, so I, I'll just do it there, you know, whereas some people don't they're not used to that you know um you get like you know nail injuries or you know things like that that come in um they may not they maybe have never done a nail injury you know where you have to take the nail off and fix it and then put the nail back on and you know so it depends on who's working i guess that's what i should say and defensive complaint gotcha um so i wanted to ask you this and you may not know the answer but one of my friends was telling me is it is it crazy or was it crazy and may still be like when the helicopters come in and land on the hospitals, does it get crazy? Like, I don't, you may not know that they answer, but like in the air, do like helicopters have to like re like calculate when it's like a really busy day? Like, do they have to like, if they're coming to, let's say they go to St. Mary's and then like you guys are like stacked. Do you guys tell them like, can't come here, go Calvert? Kind of like how you like do like ambulances and stuff. Or is it like, no, you can come here and land, but it may be a little bit for we see that person. So um, usually the hospitals like Calvert St. Mary's won't get a helicopter. Oh, really? Yeah. Gotcha. Not No, they usually won't. They'll We usually transfer out. So a helicopter will land, take our patient to like Washington Hospital Center, PG County, something like that. Oh. Um, that kind of place. So they're more going out from there. Um, whenever, whenever we have somebody who's critical, uh, we will call, say, MedStar. And MedStar will then say, okay – um, I've, we have an accepting physician and, you know, helicopter will be there in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. And then we, that patient goes, um, but it's really, um, 
it's monitored by the people who are dispatching the helicopters. And there's not like tons and tons and tons coming in all at once because there's not that many helicopters that will come in. It's not like, you know. But, you know, MESR may have a couple that are coming on from different places. But, you know, they, they drop, they take the patient off and fly back out. Or they have gotcha. two helicopter pads, you know. I think they might have two there. I'm not sure. But, yeah, typically those kinds of hospitals, most people, you know, they don't land a helicopter to bring patients in unless they're super-duper unstable and they need to come in for whatever reason, which the only time I ever saw that happen was we had a drowning locally. Um and they brought that drowning victim in um, to, to the hospital. To the hospital gotcha. by helicopter. Gotcha. Because we they picked him up from the scene, brought him to our our hospital, and then um, they took it from there. Have you guys ever had like delays? Like you'll like you'll say this person needs to be transported out, and they're like, we can't get them right now with the helicopter. Yes. Really. Yes. Uh, bad weather. They're not going to fly in bad weather. Oh, well, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah they're that. not going to fly in bad weather. Same thing, you know, like some ambulances, if it's a bad blizzard, stuff, that kind of stuff, they're not coming to get the patient. So you do the best you can yeah. with what you have available to you. Um, and then um, that's probably it. Um, sometimes it's like trying to find a place to send somebody. It can be difficult when everybody's backed up and, you know, there's no beds, that kind of stuff. Sometimes you have to call, you know, we usually would start with Washington Hospital Center because it's MedStar, so we would usually start there. Um, sometimes um, if you couldn't get somebody there, you'd go to Inova, sometimes University of Maryland. So you would find some of the bigger hospitals that would accept patients um, and say, hey, do you have a bed? 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 And um, sometimes you ended up holding a patient longer um and in fact, I remember one time I had a person, they, they weren't what we call a STEMI, which is a ST elevation myocardial infarction, which means that they have a definite blockage, but they, they were having a heart attack. So they weren't 100% occluded uh, in one of their arteries, which causes that elevation I was talking about, but they were still having a heart attack and I couldn't find any, any place to take them. And it was several years ago. It wasn't even during COVID. It was several years ago. And we kept calling and calling. And so every like four hours we call again, hey, do you have anything, you know? we still have this patient, you know, and then finally we found a place, but I think it was, it took about like eight hours to get somebody to, dang, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask this too. So when you see like these patients coming in and I would say it's just for COVID, um, do you get more kids than adults or do you get more elderly than like kids and adults? So kids, not so much. Um, and the thing is, is, uh, kids usually are more resilient. They usually don't have the other what we call comorbid conditions. So, you know, they haven't had years of abusing their body. So right. they're usually pretty pretty okay. Um, but the kids would, um, if they do come in, then we would send them to a children's hospital probably, you know, in D.C. or Georgetown, someplace that has pediatrics specifically. Um, so, yes, kids are not so much. Um, and if they do, it's a respiratory thing more so than anything else. Um as far as adults versus elderly, it depends on how healthy you are. You can have a, a person who's 45 who has, you know, diabetes and high blood pressure and they've had heart attacks before, they're overweight, and um, they're on a multiple medications and the diabetes has caused kidney failure. And that person's like 43, 45 years old. Yeah, that person could be worse than somebody who's 90 who's taking care of themselves and, you know, they're on like two medicines, you right. know. So it really depends on on what we call the comorbid conditions. But yes, the older in age, typically you're going to see probably more of those comorbid conditions just because you've been living on the planet longer and you've developed more problems. Right. 
So I know like for like like younger kids like me, him, and then like down, a lot of the doctors have been saying it's like it's hard to tell if we have COVID or not because a lot of people want to say like, well, look, strep and COVID can both be like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like when we go to the doctors and like, let's say my throat hurts and they test me for strep and COVID, is there more of a chance that it's more uh, strep, but then they say it's COVID or if it's COVID, then it's going to pop up and then say like, no, that's COVID. Um, So we do have tests for, for these things. We can test for influenza. We can test for RSV, respiratory syncytial virus is what that stands for. We can test for COVID and strep. Okay, so we can test for those things. Now, are there false negatives? Yeah. Yeah. So it could be that you swab everybody and it's all negative, but, you know, they send out the COVID test for what what they call PCR testing. It's, it's definitely more um, advantageous to get a PCR test, but it takes a bit. You're not going to get it like right away. So they may send it out and say, oh, you were positive for COVID. To me, it all comes back to what does a patient look like? You know, if if you have strep, you're probably going to have a high fever. You're probably going to have pus on your tonsils. You're going to have maybe red spots on the roof of your mouth that call up palatal petechiae. You may not have any of the other symptoms because strep oftentimes is just a throat concentration. Um, whereas if you look at the flu, the flu can give you, again, high fevers, cough, that kind of stuff, body aches, those kinds of things. So flu and COVID often are similar and how they present. So, um, and then we look at what's going on in the community. Right now, COVID is big. Am I seeing some flu? Yeah. But I'm not seeing nearly the flu as much as I'm seeing COVID. Um, and sometimes people can have a couple things. Sometimes people could have strep and COVID at the same time, you know, not, not likely, but you could. So again, clinically, what does a patient look like? Right. You know, if, if you're talking like and you can't swallow your own spit, that's a problem, yeah. you know, but if you're like, yeah, I feel miserable. I got this. It's like, yeah, you got some, something going on. Um, if this strep is negative, I probably am not going to give you an antibiotic um, because most of the stuff out there is viral and antibiotics do not kill viruses. So people come in, oh, I got this sign. It's like, no, it's a virus. I got bronchitis. No, it's viral. So people want antibiotics. And, and one good thing is like back in the day when I first started being an MP back in 96, everybody wanted antibiotics. Everybody was getting antibiotics. That was just like, you know, patient satisfaction. We want people to be happy. But nobody needed them really. Or very few people needed them. So I think they're, at least we're getting to the point where they realize save the antibiotics for when you have a bacterial infection and you need it because then they're going to work. Because what we've had is we've had some resistance going on. I mean, I've been doing this long enough. I told you I graduated in 1985. So in 85, that's when HIV AIDS was coming out. That's also when Lyme disease started, about 83 80 for both of those. Uh, MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph aureus, when I first started working, we only saw it like in nursing homes. We're like, why is this sore not healing? This kind of stuff. And that MRSA kind of is one of those results of people getting antibiotics, then your bacteria in your own body who are supposed to live there, there's a nice, happy, you know, symbiotic relationship. They're supposed to be there. They get a taste of it, and then they start mutating. And then pretty soon, an antibiotic that would normally kill that bacteria if it gets in the wrong spot is it's not going to work anymore. So that's kind of what's happened with the antibiotic resistance over the years. So the good old penicillin that used to work wonders doesn't work for a lot of things anymore. Right. Uh, I have two more questions, and I'll wrap mm -hmm. it up. But um, so you you mentioned the flu. So are those numbers down since COVID has happened, or is it kind of like maintain its own thing? So like when it, like people go in, they're like, okay, you have COVID. I guess 
do the numbers of how much flu has been going around before COVID hit dropped a lot, or is it still like border likes maintaining like every year type numbers of like getting the flu? No, the flu numbers have definitely dropped. Um, a lot of it's for masking, you know, because if you can't, flu spreads like COVID would spread. It's all all respiratory. Right. Um, and so the flus didn't really get a hold this year and even last year because people were wearing masks. So so it's less. Does that mean in the future it will be less? Not necessarily. Usually what we would do is we would look at Australia because Australia is like kind of ahead of us with as far as like what goes because their seasons are different than ours, you know. So we're coming into spring. They'll be going into winter, okay? So we look at them and say, okay, what was your flu season like? And then they would say, oh, it's boom, boom, boom. And then when they do the vaccines, they kind of get a taste of what they had down there and they get us the vaccine for the season. That's why the flu vaccines change every year. That's why you need an update every year. So because of the masks, because of the isolation, you know, the quarantining, Australia didn't let a lot of people in, that kind of stuff. A lot of things stopped, you know. Not that they're not gone. They're definitely not gone. They're right. endemic, which means they're always going to be around. It's just how, how bad is it going to be? And, you know, right. some flu seasons are worse than others. Um, but, yeah, the flu se- flu has cut, cut back for sure. But I what I was seeing was influenza A. When I would have a flu that was positive because we have A and B, um, the A is what I was seeing this year so far. But not a lot. Not a lot. So last question I was going to ask. Um when people come in and they're sick and they have COVID, obviously there's vaccines and boosters and stuff, but like, what would you tell, like now, I'm not, I'm not talking about like uh, back then. Cause I know there wasn't nothing to give, but like, is there any medicines or like prescriptions or anything that you can give that person? Or are you basically just tell them like, go home, keep an eye on it. And then, you know, come back if it's worse. Mm-hmm. So when Delta uh, came out, eventually we got monoclonal antibodies and uh, we recommended that people uh, go ahead and get the monoclonal antibodies, just about everybody. You know, hey, you, you've got the Delta variant, go get the monoclonals. And we would send people to go go ahead and get that because we found that if you got it within like the first five days, that it was actually really helpful to build boost your immunity. And people did really well with that. So we started doing that. And then all of a sudden it changes to Omicron. And then what we realized was, wait a minute, these Delta monoclonals aren't working for the Omicron variant. So guess what? That doesn't work for us anymore. So what they did was then they got another monoclonal for the Omicron variant, but there's not a lot of it out there. So what they're doing is they're saving it for people that are more sick. So when somebody comes in, we'll look at um, like a questionnaire, you know, does this person have diabetes, COPD, uh, cancer? Are they on chemotherapy? And then, you know, um, how long, or what's their body mass? You know, are they, are they, right. are they fat, yeah. <laughs> essentially? Um, and, um, and then how long have they had it? Because you need to get it within the first five days. And so they, they rank you. Like, so if you're like a four and above, yeah, you're really highly recommended that you get it. And it's important that, um, here you go. And so they would call and say, hey, come in for the monoclonals. And so people are getting that. But it wasn't widespread like it was back in Delta days. Gotcha. You know? um, as far as antivirals, yes, they came up with a couple of antivirals. But again, they're, Walgreens, I think, had it locally. And they were only getting certain amount of doses. So um, only certain amount of people would get it. And what they found was like, we, as an ER person, we could say, hey, we think it'd be benef- it would be beneficial for you to get the, the um, antiviral. But they were only letting like certain people kind of order that. And, gotcha. and then there were only certain pharmacies that had it. So, I really do appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no this worries. has been a fun podcast, uh, episode 22. And, um, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks for having me.